Okay, well, Cindy, welcome. How are you today? Thanks, Gary. Good. Another beautiful day. How about you? How are you? Good, good. It's been a great week. I uh, I got to play golf with a friend of mine who had uh, been out for two years because of dis- different illnesses, and he came back, and he was wonderful, and he looked great. So Very encouraging. It, oh, it was, it was so exciting, and just makes you remember how... You know, precious it is to have time to spend together and you know cherish every minute of it anyway i am very uh, happy today we have janine kirk with us she's uh, an old acquaintance and a good friend and uh, i'm excited to hear her story and uh, and i'm excited to learn more about you too janine oh thank you thanks for having me i'm good. excited to be here all right, well, I'm going to turn this order to uh, Cindy Wilgun, Dr. Cindy Carter, I should say. Um, we're going to uh, hear about uh, you and your father. Awesome. And, and maybe just to begin with, you could tell us a little bit about your birth order, where you are in the family. Just give us some context about your relationship with your dad. Thank you. That is interesting, isn't it? Birth order is something that fascinates me because my story is so different than my older siblings who were just born clustered together, right? Um, I'm the youngest of six children, and my next oldest sibling is five years older than me. So uh, psychologically and even in my feeling is kind of like feeling like an only child being very separate from the first five that were born. So um, my short story about that is there's was when I remember being little and my mom used to laugh about this. There would be there was a um, they had a cluster of family photos up on the wall and it was everybody but me in the family photos. And I would I used to say to my mother, were you waiting for me? <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, everybody was waiting for you. <laughs> Were you waiting for me? Because it was just, it was such, it was all of them, and it, and it wasn't me. And then, so they separated them out, and they hung on these little, it was like a tree, like a brass tree, and all these little circle pictures hung on the, gra- on, the, on the brass tree. So they just added one of me and my sister together when I was like three years old or something like that, and she was in high school. She was 13 years older than me, so... So yeah, um, not, and my dad was, we had four brothers, so my dad was very proud of his boys, and he was an athlete, he was a pro baseball player, mm. he was a semi-pro boxer, he was very athletic, very masculine, and, and very much, um, very proud of his boys. The girls didn't get that kind of treatment. Kind of an so. afterthought. Definitely, and had to beg him, I mean, my mother, I remember my mother begging him to do anything with me. So it was like, even if it was like a father-daughter brownie troop, you know, father-daughter dinner or something like that, he'd, she would be like, Tom, you have to go. Like, you have to go. And he's like, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going. I can remember him, like, like begging my dad to do just the littlest thing with me. Yeah, so yeah. there was something about that that came across to you. You picked it up. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you, rem- do you think he was just uncomfortable with the... A little girl and what to do? Or? I don't know what it was. and Because my sister being 13, she's the second in birth order. So I had my oldest brother, Tom, and then my sister, Trish. And she she was more athletic than me, though. So she at least played field hockey, and she, you know, she was doing martial arts. She did jujitsu and all kinds of shit, defend herself against these four boys. But... Um, yeah, so 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 it was you know that kind of a she was a little at least a little more 
uh, on the athletic side. She had, and her foot in the, she had her foot in the masculine door. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't have any of that. I had exactly the same thing in my family. My two older brothers were all-star athletes, and my mom was dying for a little girl by the time I came along. And I, I think she kind of turned me into a little girl for a while there. And uh, But, yeah, my dad always went to every football game, every baseball game, and I came along kind of an artsy-fartsy little kid. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, come to my band concert. Uh, you know, so yeah. I understand. Yeah, yeah, definitely not not the favorite. Yeah. Well, you have kind of a surprising story to tell us about your dad. Would you lead up to that? Give us some context for what happened. Sure. Um, so uh, my father passed when I was 10. He was 46. So younger than he, he passed before anyone ever thought he would, uh, including him. At age 46? He was 46. I was you, 10 years old. You were barely getting... T- to know who he was as a person. Exactly. Exactly that. And I felt like all of my older siblings had known him, you know, for quite some time. So mm-hmm. my my next oldest sibling was 15 at that point. So they had at least, they had all these stories about my dad mm-hmm. and they knew him well. And, you know, it, not that they were the best stories all the time, but at least they they were all, you know, they all had something to, to tell. And mm-hmm. And being 10, losing my dad, it was it was really, really hard. It was like coming into June 10 to 13, you're coming into your mortality. So losing a parent at mm. that time was, I mean, devastating. I so, was so many levels. <sighs> Janine, would you care to say what caused his death? Yes, yes. The actually, he survived the first heart attack, and the second heart attack killed him. So in 1974, uh-huh. we didn't have bypasses or anything like that where they would would have saved him today, right? Mm-hmm. And the second heart attack killed him. So, mm-hmm. but you know, um, what made it even even uh, har- you know harder on me was mm-hmm. that I never had that kind of relationship with him. But when he had his first heart attack. He wasn't allowed to do much, so I would get home from school, and he'd have the cards dealt already. So he's playing cards with me, and all of a sudden he's cultivating this relationship with me at the end that I never had before. It was like all of a sudden he was like getting close to me because I was pretty much the only one at home at that time. My brother was 15, but... Um, you know, out and about and busy with his friends. So, Well, the definition of your value just took a 180-degree turn mm-hmm. at that point. It did. There was a lot of damage done in the beginning, but that you're right. There was a lot of really just just nuggets of goodness right before he passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the day that he he died, um, he actually I actually saw him having his second heart attack. Mm-hmm. So he came mm-hmm. to me and he was like, where's your mom? And he's sweating and, mm-hmm. you know, going through that whole thing. And my mother was downstairs. And I remember saying to him, um, mom's downstairs doing laundry. And he's like uh, yelling for her. And then she came up, looked at him, got me off to my brother's house not too far away and then went to the hospital with him and that was the last time I had ever seen him so um so yeah uh that was that was he he was 46 I was 10 so after that happened I mean my whole life kind of just was like I was even afraid to lose my mom at that point now so I could hardly Mm. let my mom out of my sight because now I'm thinking anybody could go that easily and that quickly Mm. so how you know, if my dad could die that, you know, be that healthy. And, you know, he was my, he was like this, you know, he was a force. He was larger than life. He was. Uh-huh. He was a force to be reckoned with, you mm-hmm. know. So it was kind of like if that could happen to him, 
my mother could go in a in a minute, right? Yeah, scary. Yeah, so um, so I'm ten. So my my dad passes on. He's got these friends that uh, four four friends that think it's a great idea to give me this gold watch when my father died. So they gave me this gold watch. Watch. It was a little Ben Russ watch that was like this, you know, little clasp. And I opened it up, and it had their names engraved on the back of the watch. So it said Mike, Ray, Emil, and Peppy on the back of the watch. I kept it for years and years. I think I still have it. And, um, you know, my mother remarried two years later, and, you know, we had a lot of life happening after that point, which that's a whole other story. So fast forward, I'm going to say I'm in my late 30s now at this point. So, and I'm working in Center City, Philadelphia. I was a paralegal at the time. I had two young children who that the day when we're talking about, um, they were with their, their dad. They were with their father. You know, I was divorced, separated at the time, so they had, like, a weekend with their dad. And I can remember walking through the city this one particular day, and, and I was like a, a schlep. Like, you had to, like, working in Center City and living in New Jersey was not easy. You're driving to the train. You take the train to 15th mm-hmm. and Locust. Then you're walking 10 blocks to the mm-hmm. law firm, you know, in the back. And it's raining, and it's raining, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this day will never end. It was a week. It was a day. I just remember going like, oh. So I'm on my way home from work, and I'm schlepping through the city. I'm wet. I'm carrying all this stuff. I'm on the train. I'm getting this feeling, you know, that I should stop at this place called Olive on the way home. And this Olive was a was a was uh, like an affluent it was an affluent area, and it had this like real upscale restaurant where people would meet, and and um, and I knew on a Friday it would be like three deep at the bar. I didn't. I knew I wouldn't get a parking space, much less a seat at the bar. I was. I mean, it was just this whole ordeal, and I was like, oh my god, I am not going to Olive. I just want to go home. I want to just relax after this day, this week. And my kids weren't there. It was like the perfect opportunity for me to just decompress, right? This is sounding like a hero's journey at this point. Everything <laughs> stacked against you, forces conspiring against you, and you're fighting them. Right well, in a sense, but I I was so tuned in when I when I got into my thirties, I started to do like a, I had like a real spiritual journey in my thirties, and um, really kind of learning so much about myself and. Uh, and just people in general. So listening to that voice inside of me was so important and so strong. And I just knew that I, if I don't listen to it, it's usually when I regret mm. things in my life. It's not when I do listen to it, right? So it's kind of, I'm, and I'm, I have like these really strong gut feelings. So when I get that strong gut feeling, there's just, I, you're right. I could not fight it. There was just, I just couldn't fight you it. You tried though. You I really did. I really it. did. I just thought, I really just, and I couldn't. I just kept getting this really strong feeling and this heart voice just going, you need to stop at Olive. You need to stop at Olive. Mm. So sure enough, I stop at Olive and, and I do get my parking space and I'm like, okay, got a parking space. I'm thinking, well, maybe if I got a parking space, it's not that crowded, right? So I'm thinking, well, this is going well so far. Still soaking wet, raincoat, all the whole, the whole thing. I walk into the bar and to the restaurant. I look over to the bar and sure enough, exactly like I had explained it, three people deep leaning over one another, trying to get a drink. It's the whole, it's super crowded it's not i look over and i see at towards the end of the bar i see this one seat at the bar 
And I look at this and I'm thinking to myself, someone's sitting there. They're in the ladies' room or, in, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, this can't be real. So I walk up and I look to the gentleman to the right and I said, is anyone sitting here? And he said, um, n- no, that's your seat. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I put down my umbrella and my bag and they know me at this place, you know. So the bartender comes up to me and he says, hey, Jay, how you doing? Uh, you want a cosmopolitan? I said, sounds great. That, that's perfect. Let's, let's do that. This has been a day. I'm ready for that Cosmo. Let's do it. Put everything down. I look at the gentleman to the right and he says, how are you? Where are you coming from? And I said, oh, I'm coming from the city. You know, I'm, um, uh, you know, <laughs> coming home from work. And he goes, oh, uh, where are you working? And I said, I work for a law firm in, in Philadelphia. And I say, he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm a, I'm a paralegal. So he starts to make small talk with me, and I look at him, and I think, and he's about my dad's age, and I'm trying to, like, think of, you know, things in common with him that I would have with my dad or he would have with my dad and making conversation. So he looks at me, and he says, "Um, who do you work for? And I said, well, I've been mostly in family law, um, but I've done real estate and other things, and at this time I'm working for so-and-so. And And I said, but you might know um, someone who was a friend of my dad's. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, who is that? And I said, um, Mike Wallace. And it was Mike on the back of the watch that my that the friends, my dad's friends had given me. So that was Mike. So he looks at me and he goes, Mike Wallace. He goes, how do you know Mike? And I said, well, he was a friend of my dad's before my dad passed away. He goes, who was your dad? And I said, my dad was commissioner of the zoning board of Philadelphia before he died. And he looks at me and he goes, What's your dad's name? And I said, his name is Tommy Kirk. And the guy looked at me like he had just seen a ghost. Like he just, he put his head down and he looked up at me and he went, I swore your father in as commissioner of the zoning board of Philadelphia before he died. He goes, I'm Ray LaJoya. Well, he was Ray on the back of the watch that they had given me when my father died. Well, I am just over, I'm overwhelmed at this point because I can't believe, you know, this is happening. So I call my mother up and I go, Mom, you are never going to believe who I'm sitting next to right now. And so she says, who are you sitting with? And I said, I'm sitting next to Ray LaJoya. And my mother starts bawling on the phone now she is she can't handle it she's just I said I know I know mom I know and she goes tell him I said hi tell him I'm asking for him the whole thing and then and I said I know I know this is just the this is just such a gift so I hang up the phone with my mother tell her I love her I hang up and we're talking to Ray and I said to him you know I still have that watch that you gave me when my dad died and he goes you're kidding And I said, no. And he goes, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He goes, I'm going to get Mike and Pepe. Emil's no longer with us. Mm -hmm. He goes, and in two weeks, we're going to come here at Olive, and we're going to buy you dinner and drinks, and we're going to tell you stories about your dad all night long. I'm just trying not to cry right (laughs) now. Yeah. 
That's the most incredible story I've ever heard. And, and uh, yeah. you did, and you had dinner with them? I did. Two weeks later, sure enough, they called me up. They said, Janine, meet us over at Olive. We're going to be there. And that's exactly what they did. Now, my dad was quite a character. He was a ca- practical joker. He was not afraid of too many things. So yeah. he did a lot of things that I, I'm, you know, you'd be hard to talk about. But... Um, he also did some things that were really great. So when I'm there at the at dinner, they would bring up certain things and they would go, tell her about such and such. And then Mike, the attorney, would go, I don't know if the statute yeah, of limitations yeah. is out on oh, that yet. I don't know if we could talk about that. <laughs> that kind of stuff. That is so interesting because it's come up several times on this show that what a gift it would be. There's nobody alive that knows my father's stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so few of us have a chance to mm-hmm. hang with the people that knew your father when he was a, a young <laughs> rapscallion doing mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. and and how much it would humanize him, make him a real person. And, and so mm-hmm. what, a, what an incredible gift. And yeah, mm-hmm. things like that just make you believe something's mm-hmm. going on in the universe. Some th- a lot of somethings in this case. So... After you got fed in two different ways that night, yeah. what what happened for you in your own life? Oh, oh gosh, what a shift, what? right? Because it was something I had always wanted. It was something I'd always um, wished I had. It was a wish come true for me because, like I said, my older siblings had all these stories and all these things to tell and all this. And all of a sudden, you know, I had never had anything to, to contribute to their stories. Uh, so that night after that night and it was just me and I had heard all their stories and everything it made me feel this I'm going to use this word because it's something that I didn't feel very often in my young as a little kid I felt special so it made me feel special it was almost as though that gift was given to me it was divine timing and divine kind of intervention and just I really felt like I had always felt like my father was looking over me mm-hmm. most like most of my life definitely my teenage years definitely my teenage years i i was i was in such a dark place in my teenage years that i can't explain still being alive at this point without saying my father was looking over me in a, in a paradoxical kind of way mm-hmm. it sounds also like you were looking over him oh. that that now that you're the carrier of those stories, you are the carrier of the stories, you're looking over him and and the stories about him, his memory, you keep him alive yeah. through those stories. For sure. So yeah. you, your, your father dies at 10 and, and it's just uh, the shock of your life and it's awful. And so your mother remarries and uh, starts an episode that was not so great. That was dark, man. You went so I have stepfather stories too. Well, yeah, that's, that's yeah. important. Yeah, so my stepfather, uh, my mother, uh, my mother became an alcoholic after my father died. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. and then she married one, and so that became. I went from move, living in the city where I had girlfriends on every corner, and you know all these friends and all this, to moved out to a farm in New Jersey where I had no one except for this dysfunctional family. I wound up moving into and. I mean, well, I was the youngest of six, and then she married a man with seven. Oh. And then there was, 
number 12 of 13. God. Yeah, it was horrible. And my stepsisters hated me and told me every single day of my life that they hated my guts. And my mother let it happen. So my mother basically emotionally abandoned me, trying to gain the uh, the like and the trust of the step-siblings, sacrificing me to get that. And then, I, I mean, like, that's what I mean. Like, and so then and I had a, my stepbrother sexually molested me and did that and like we went into that whole thing and then my stepfather tried but my mother was always like she was too smart for him but she knew all of this going on so she, she knew all of this and mm-hmm. didn't protect you completely exactly exactly you, you were in the middle mm-hmm. of it yeah so so you moved from a, an environment that was uh, rich and diverse to an environment that was insular and toxic mm, totally and trapped I felt trapped. Yeah. And what was weird is that my my sibs didn't know anything about it. Right? So my sister, who is like my second mother, who would fight for me to the end, mm-hmm. had no clue I was dealing with all that mm-hmm. until she would come visit. And then I remember, I distinctly remember my sister. My sister was not afraid. She was not afraid of anyone. And she... She was sitting there with me at the table one time and my mother was standing up cooking and my step one of my stepsisters was like eight months pregnant on the other side of the table me and my sister were sitting on like the other side together and my stepsister turned to me and looked at me and she goes you're a whore she called me a whore in front of my mother my mother's not saying anything in front of my mother and my sister my sister stood up took the kitchen table and flipped it on top of her right and was like You've got to be kidding. Like, my sister lost her mind. Like, could not believe that. that not, not only was my stepsister speaking to me that way, but my mother was allowing it. So mm-hmm. it was, it was mm-hmm. just, it got, it got very, it was not good. In some mm-hmm. ways, she was trying to balance that, the inequities yeah. that were mm-hmm. burdening you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, your fa- your 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 children's father is he still involved with your kids at all? Yeah, good. yeah, he is. He is. Good, good. Yeah, I wound up. I actually, wound, I wound like for all the stuff that I've been through and been taught, right? And your, I didn't have really good role models to to speak of or to to model my own life after. I really, I I really. I'm going to say I did really well mm-hmm. for my kids and for myself. Good. That was my question is yeah, uh, you feel you? like those things, it seems like most people go <laughs> with yeah. what they were taught or mm-hmm. total opposite. And thankfully you went to yeah. in the opposite direction and your kids had a good mother. And <laughs> that's <laughs> great. Well, that was the first thing I did when I found out I was pregnant was get myself in therapy because I knew that I didn't have good role models and I didn't know what I was doing. I had no... I knew that I needed to learn a whole new way to do it, and, mm-hmm. and even it, a whole new way to think about it, to conceptualize it, exactly, to, to, to story it in your own mind, exactly, because the, yeah. the the chain of abuse, it just keeps going right until someone stops it, and that was stopping with me as far as I was mm-hmm. concerned. So that that was that was basically my goal with my children, and and that was that was that was achieved. So. <laughs> Janine, is there anything else you want us to know about your dad? <laughs> My dad? Oh, gosh. Um, you Do you know, have one of the stories that you, that yeah. uh, Mike shared with you that you'd want to uh, share, share with us? That 
Oh, that Mike shared with me. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so well, my dad was a bit of a rebel, <laughs> and he was kind of, he was very protective of the folks around him. So it was kind of like um, people were afraid of him. He was like that kind of a guy. <laughs> so um, it was just a, the, the, a lot of the, some of the stories were just of him, like um, they would they would you know if something was happening and they you know were having some kind of a falling out with someone they'd turn around and my dad would have somebody up against the wall with their feet like dangling and my dad would be like you know things that don't happen today like you yeah. can't do this today there's like you, <laughs> yeah. these are things that don't he was he was you know it, it was it was aggressive yeah, it was, yeah. but i do have i do have a fun one fun story okay. actually we, so i when i when i was when he first passed on his secretary lived three doors down from me and was two of my best friend's older sister. So she said, um, before we clean out his office, I want to bring you to his office and I want you to see what your dad used to do. I'm going to bring you to City Hall Annex. We're going to take the train into the city and we're going to bring you into his office and see exactly what he used to do. So my dad was, like I said, practical joker, funny guy. So she brings me in there. We do this whole trip. She brings me into the office, and I'm looking, and this is where he used to sit, and this is where you know he used to do. So she says, you know the little gummy things that would be like on the back of a, a sticky thing you put in? It would, he'd stick them on the doorknob, and it would be like on your hand. It'd be like a, like a, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> like right. a booger on your hand or yeah, something. Yeah. You're like, oh, what is this? You know, he'd be doing these kind of like weird, you know, funny things he, he thought was funny. And she goes, he would get these memos from whoever, you know, the mayor or whoever, these, you know, uh, notes, basically just memorandums. And he would fold them up in paper airplanes and he'd open up the window and he'd sail them out the window like that. So she goes, and I, and where he sat, he had this window right there where he sat. And I remember, I remember this distinctly walking over to that window and there were all these paper airplanes out on the flat roof oh out God. of his office <laughs> to this day. I have like this paper airplane thing that, that you know, resonates oh. with me. I have like a tote bag with a paper airplane on it. And oh. that reminds me of my father. So, yeah, there's like little things like that. that It's almost an artistic activity that he engaged in to create that <laughs> landscape. Yes, yes, it's a, it's yeah. a very uh, cinematic visual, isn't it? Is. It is. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> right. Well, Janine, this has been an absolute pleasure. We thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We, yeah, uh, and you, thankful that you come through your, your trials and uh, made the hero's journey, and you came out on the other side. So bravo! Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's been a pleasure being here with both of you. So thank you. And uh, that's Daddy Never Cried for this week. And uh, please go to our website and you can find out how you can share your story with us. And uh, Cindy, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Gary. And we'll see you next time on Daddy Never Cried. <laughs>